Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Jonah. How many here has have read the book of Jonah? Uh, how many he, how many are here that was here first service? So now you guys can say you've read the book of Jonah too, right? Even though because of a lack of time, we did have to kind of do a summary of the last couple chapters. But the book of Jonah, four chapters, we're going to read them today. And I'm trying to stretch this out because you're going to be like, I don't have the book of Jonah in my Bible. Because it's so small. It's there. Trust me. If you have a really good Bible, it would be page 782. Oh, okay. Like Pastor Denny mentioned, the title of today's message is Jonah's Journey. And what I'd like to talk about today is the four distinct stops in Jonah's journey that we'll all find ourselves facing throughout our life. Jonah's journey is laid out in these four stops. God calls, Jonah flees. God gets angry, Jonah prays. God go, or Jonah goes, God relents. And Jonah gets angry, so God teaches him a lesson. And I'm sure we've all been there at some point in our life. Or maybe you're sitting here today and you find yourself at one of those stops. And that's what I'll continue to ask you at each stop. Is do you see yourself at that stop in your walk right now? Because at the end of the message, we're going to take a time and we're going to ask God right now to start touching our heart. And help us be honest, not only with God, but with ourselves. That if there's something we need to correct in our life, and our journey, we'll do so at the end of this message, at the altar call. So let me just pray that for us, and then we'll jump right in. Father, do that, Lord. Send your Holy Spirit and begin to touch our hearts right now. Prick our hearts, God. Awaken our hearts to your truth, God. That we wouldn't just go through life like a... a a rat on a wheel, but God, that we would know the purpose that you have for us, that we would slow down and take each step and make it, make it obedient to your will, God, every step we take. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Jonah chapter 1 starts out, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of, well, this guy, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for, well, this other place, I hate saying that word. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish. That's it. To flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and... We will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? Well, they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up, he said, and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to try to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew wilder and wilder. And wilder and wilder. Then they cried to the Lord, O oh Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O oh Lord, have done as you please. 
Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord, I love the big butt of God. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Stop number one. God calls Jonah fleas. We have all been called by God. As a matter of fact, it's called the Great Commission. The Great Call is the Great Commission. We are commissioned. We are called to go into all the world and preach, teach, and heal. As a matter of fact, we put it on the wall out there. So every week when you go out, you'll remember my job is to go into all the world and preach, teach, and heal all. That's the great commission. That's the great call. And then in, the, in that great call, he directs our steps. So he might say to Susan Lee, in the great commission, in your great call to preach, teach, and heal, go to Interlock and Arts Academy in the kitchen in this one cabin and tell them. The great commission, the great call is to preach, teach, and heal. But then in that, he will direct you. Okay, Jerry, you're supposed to go into Benzonia at this time on this day and speak to this cashier and preach, teach, and heal. We've all been called. We have a call. But what happens when we hear the call? We go, oh, not me, God. Send Missy. Send Missy. Send Missy. Oh, come on. You've all done it. I've done it. I hear God say, and I'm like, oh, Lord, I pray for the one coming behind me that you make them do it. We've all done it. We run. We run the opposite direction. And right now in chapter one, we don't know yet why Jonah has ran in the opposite direction. But like us, he heard the call and he took off in the opposite direction. No way, not me. God sends somebody else. Maybe I will win. Fill in the blank. Have you said that? Oh, God, I feel you calling me to give money to so-and-so, but when, when you give me more money, God, I'll go give them money. But right now, I just don't have enough, Lord. What, you think like God says, oh, I'm sorry, I, I should have checked with you first. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Come on. I love that Jonah admits his sin to the others in the boat. Dude, it's my fault. It's my fault. You ever heard your family say something like that? You know, why does it feel like we're always in trouble? Why does it feel like our house is always in chaos? Why does it feel like we're always struggling? Well, let me just encourage you that if you know it's your fault, own up to it. I'm sorry. You know, I've been spending where I shouldn't have been spending. I'm giving where I shouldn't be giving, not in a good giving way, but in anyway. I know, admit it, especially to your kids. If you have kids in the house, let them see Train them, equip them. I'm talking about little kids all the way up to adult kids. Continue. Admit it. Admit it. Everybody else in the boat knows it. Just saying. But God. But God. So why did, why did God keep him there after he admitted it to the rest of the boat? The rest of the sailors. It's my fault. You think... You think the minute that you say you're sorry, God's going to go, oh, okay, now let me pick you up. Here you go. You're okay now. That's all. No, he had a job to do. Still not over, man. You could admit you're wrong and walk out and nothing's changed. He still had a job to do. Life inside the belly of the whale. Three days and three nights. I have to admit, I have read this story growing up in... In the assembly of God, there's flannel boards. We all remember if you're old enough, like flannel boards and the pictures and Jonah and the whale. And, you know, what do you picture 
when you see or think about Jonah in the belly of the whale? Well, I came across this picture and I want to show you the next. That's what I always pictured. Pinocchio's father sitting there at his desk with his lamp, with his laundry hanging there. You notice that? With his laundry, he probably got a little food. Oh, he's got a fish in a, in a little, you see that? In a little tank. See that? Oh, yeah. He got a door and a bell and a potbelly stove right there. When I thought about Jonah in the belly of the whale, that's what I saw. Or maybe the next picture, I, that's more Sunday schoolish right there. Now, that, there's Jonah, again with a candle. I like it that he always has light in the belly of the whale. And the little octopus saying, buddy, what did you get us into? Right? Right? Well, really, I mean, the picture here is, well, the, the fish that they say swallowed Jonah is, they call it the rhinodun shark, and I'm probably butchering that name, sorry, whale shark. These sharks are known for being the largest fish in the sea, growing longer than 40 foot. And I measured, and this is almost exactly 40 foot. So imagine me, because Jonah was a short guy. No, I don't. Standing, could you, can you see this? Yeah. Okay. Let's go on. They are filter feeders, often swimming near the surface of the open sea, gulping in water, filtering everything from plankton and fish aids to crustaceans, and schooling fish to occasional larger prey like squid or tuna. Now, still, that wasn't enough. I'm still picturing Pinocchio's father. So I came across an article written by Carl Laney. He is a, let me get this right, Biblical literature teacher at Western Seminary. And he wrote an article after doing tons and tons of research on February 2015. He says, have you ever wondered about the possibility that someone could survive being swallowed by a great fish? Few people would question history's story of Jonah apart from the fish in his story. It's a whale of a tale, I have to admit. But could it have actually happened? In Sir Francis Fox's book, 63 Years of Engineering, cited in Princeton Theological Review in 1927, it is reported that the sperm whale, or this whatever, can swallow lumps of food eight feet in diameter. In one of these whales was found the skeleton of a shark 16 feet in length. Harry Rimmer, The Harmony of Science and Scripture, is what he wrote in 1940, suggests that Jonah's fish may have been this rhinodun shark, which has no teeth and feeds by straining its food through great plates in its mouth. A large fish of this type would certainly be capable of swallowing a man. So what would the chances be of surviving inside this fish? That's our question, right? Rimmer reports that whales, being air-breathing mammals, have in their heads a large air storage chamber. The chamber is an enlargement of the nasal sinus, and in a large whale can be as large as 14 feet by 7 feet by 7 feet high. This amounts to 686 cubic feet of space. Yes, it is possible that a man could survive for three days and three nights in such a chamber. Rimmer explains that if a whale takes into its mouth an object too big to swallow, it thrusts it up into this air chamber. If it finds that it has a large object in its head, it swims to the nearest land, lies in the shallow water, and ejects it. It is also reported that this whale always ejects the contents within itself when it's dying. Rimmer tells of an English sailor who was once swallowed by a giant rhinodon shark in the English Channel. The sailor fell overboard attempting to harpoon the shark. 
Before he could be picked up, the man was swallowed. The entire trawler fleet sought to hunt the fish down so their sailor's body could be recovered and buried. 48 hours after the accident occurred, the fish was sighted and killed. The carcass was towed to shore and the body cavity opened. Much to his friend's surprise, the sailor was unconscious but alive. He was rushed to the hospital where he was found to be suffering from shock alone. A few hours later, he was discharged as being physically fit. Rimmer reports that he met the sailor in person and was able to corroborate the incident. The man's physical appearance, however, had been affected by his experience. His body was entirely devoid of hair. The odd patches of yellowish and brown covered his skin. Fox reports an incident that took place in February 1891. A whale ship, Star of the East, was in the vicinity of the Falkland Islands when a large whale was sighted three miles away. Drawing near for the kill, one of the two harpooning boats was upset. One man was drowned and the other, James Bartley, disappeared and was presumed dead. The whale was killed and the sailors worked all day and part of the night butchering it. As they began to work near the stomach, they were startled by signs of life. Inside, they found the sailor, doubled up and unconscious. He was laid on the deck and revived by throwing a bucket of water on him. He was placed in the captain's quarter where he raved as a lunatic for two weeks. But at the end of the third week, he had entirely recovered and resumed his duties. It is reported that Bartley's face, neck, and hands were bleached to a deadly whiteness by the gastric juice in the stomach of the whale. He believes that he would have lived inside the stomach of the whale until he starved for his loss, for he lost his senses through fright, not from lack of air. After falling into the foaming waters, he says that he was drawn into a dark place where the heat was intense. As he tried to find his way out, he touched the slimy walls around him realized where he was and fell unconscious as a result of shock. Other cases have been reported of men who survived the ordeal of being swallowed by a fish. A.J. Wilson reports two other incidences in which men were swallowed by whales and then vomited up with only minor injuries. Princeton Theological Review, October 1927. So it appears to be technically possible for a man to be swallowed by a whale or a great fish and survive. Actual incidents have been reported and cooperated. I know I say that word wrong, but verified. So yes, it is possible. No, it does not look like Pinocchio's father. Or probably not looking anything like your Sunday school story in the flannel board picture, right? Because now in your mind, do you have a picture of those men? No hair, completely bald, bleached white, with these brownish, yellowish spots all over them. Not pretty! Here we are, the first stop on Jonah's journey. Journey. God calls, Jonah flees. So let me ask you. Has God told you to go or do something and instead you ran from it? You don't feel worthy enough. You don't feel capable. You're afraid you won't have enough money. If you give away the money, you just feel indifferent to God's will. Eh, somebody else will do it. And eh, God, you'll take care of that. I, I don't have enough time. I'm in a hurry. If you have, you have found yourself today at this stop on Jonah's journey, 
Jonah's journey. My instruction to you, correct your course before God corrects it for you. The second stop, let's look at Jonah chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord. Now, let, let's just get this picture in our mind now. Picture the actual story. Again, not Pinocchio's father. The men inside the belly of these whales. Jonah prays. He cries out. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. Beautiful. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Here, these two next verses, this is it. To those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, comma, with a song of thanksgiving, comma, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. From inside the belly of the whale, Jonah prayed. These other men just going to shock. Ah! Can you just hear a man screaming? No. Oh, it's ah! and shock, unconscious, laying there. But Jonah prays. Not only does he pray, "Lord, save me," he goes into a big discourse with angels. And then, verse eight, he tells us, "Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs." But I, with a song of thanksgiving will sacrifice to the Lord in the belly of the whale you got the picture yet we cry when we get a hangnail <laughs> I stub my toe <laughs> God why are you so mean to me he's in the belly of the whale and he says with a song of thanksgiving I will sacrifice to the Lord. Let me just say, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. That is huge right there. Huge. Those who cling to worthless idols. Let me, and I'm just presuming. I'm just, this is Brenda, I think. I think right here that he's saying that because remember when God called him, he says, forget it. I'm out of here. I'm running the other way. We don't know yet why he ran the other way. But knowing the rest of the story, I think maybe his worthless idol was his reputation. I'm not going there. Or what will they think of me? Have you ever said that? When God's called you or asked you to do something, go talk to someone. So, oh, what would they think of me? What would they, what would they, no, Lord, I can't do that. No. When we, Cling on to, hang on to those worthless idols, whatever it is, your money, your reputation, what people might think of you, whatever, your friends, your fun time, whatever it is, you forfeit the grace that could be yours. God says, I've, and remember, grace is unmerited favor. God says, I'll give you all my favor if you go and do what I tell you to do. When, when you're doing what, all my favor is on you. But you forfeit that when you choose to hang on to this. You choose to hang on to your reputation. You choose to hang on to whatever it is. You forfeit it. Jonah recommits himself to God. I just love that. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, ha 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 ha. Think he is in the belly of the whale when he said that. 
And then he said, what I have vowed, I will make good. Do you know when you commit your life to the Lord, when you ask Jesus to be the Lord, the Savior of your life, you're also committing, vowing that you'll, be, you'll make him the Lord of your life? Which means you'll serve him, his will, his way, his purpose with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's your vow. That's your commitment. And right here, Jonah says, what I have vowed, I will make good. What was it? To obey the Lord, period. As a matter of fact, you should have this mantra in your head all the time. God, you say I obey. You say I obey. Nothing else. You say I obey. Nothing else. If he's your Lord, that should be your mantra. That should be what you constantly repeat over and over again. God says, Jody, go do this. You say, God, I obey. I go do this. You're my Lord. You're my Lord. So the second stop on Jonah's journey, Jonah prays, God delivers. So let me ask you, have you ever felt swallowed up? Have you ever felt swallowed up, cast into a stormy sea, swallowed up by darkness? What is it? Uh, Overwhelming debt, a marriage in crisis, loss of a loved one, a wayward child. An unexpected diagnosis. If so, you have found yourself on the second stop in Jonah's journey. And my instruction to you, cry out to God. Make good on your vow. And he'll be, he will, he is with you in the darkness and he will deliver you. But don't ever forget, and we've done these studies over and over again, that God's promises all have, if you will, God says, then I will. If you will. God says, then I will. So we just want to cry out, God, deliver us. God, deliver us. He's like, yeah, well, what have you done? I told you to go to Nineveh. Right now you're in the belly of the whale. You're not in Nineveh. Cry out. Make good on your vow. And now, pluck you up. Where's he going to put them? (laughs) Let's look. Let's look. Chapter 3. So uh, the last of chapter 2, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. And what did he do? He didn't say, oh, Jonah, okay, everything's all better. Come, let's go rest. Let's eat some, you know, eat some pot roast that's cooking in the oven right now. No, it's not. Um, I smell it. No. He says, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah, get up. Go to Nineveh. It's what I told you to do in the first place. Right? We expect he's going to be like, he forgot that or something? He got his amnesia? No. He vomited up on the dry land and then said, get up. It's time to go. Go do what I told you to do. Right? Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I gave you. I love this. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. Would have been a lot easier for him if he would have obeyed in the first place. Yeah? The mental picture of what those men looked like when they came out of the belly of the whale. Slime covered, vomited. Vomited is not a... I I actually, when I was looking for some of those pictures, one picture was this great whale up on the shallow land and this nice prophet with Bible open stepping out of the tongue. Now, I'm not a doctor or a scientist, but I have a feeling there's going to be a little bit more slime involved there. And vomit, it means, yeah. And so in the bleached and the bald and the, and could you imagine what his clothes look like even if his skin is being bleached and his hair, you know, his clothes and the, so anyway, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. Why? Because a crazy man is walking around half naked, no hair, bleached white, saying, 40 days. What would you do? You'd run to the house. Let's move. Right? Pack your stuff, people. Leave the cat. Leave the dog. Let's go. Right? 
screaming, repenting, and it caused such a commotion that it got the attention of the king. When the king heard what was going on, he probably wanted to go out there and check this out. Who's this dude running around my city? And he said, proclaim a fast. Forget it. Everybody, leave your evil ways. Leave all your wickedness. Everybody, even the animals, put sackcloth on the animals. Don't even feed the animals. He's like, fast, pray, pray. He said, urgently call on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. That alone is a great story. That alone is such a great story. But, sorry, don't end there. So let's look at chapter 3. God's callings are without repentance. Let's just say that. Remember, as soon as he vomited out, he said, go. God told you to do something and you ran the opposite way for whatever reason. He hasn't forgotten that. He hasn't forgotten that. As a matter of fact, if you can still go or you can still do that, do it. It's without repentance. Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. You have no idea who God is calling you to. You have no idea what that one pizza delivered at that one house at that specific time will do to that family the rest of their lives. I still tell testimonies of that happening in our marriage early on. It was just Brian and I. I think Isaiah was just born, maybe. I can't remember. Maybe I was pregnant. We had nothing in the cupboards at all. Nothing on the table. And him and I sat down at the table, and we prayed, and we thanked God for the food that will be coming onto this table. Thank you, God. You provide everything. We don't have to worry. And I mean, no sooner did we say amen, and somebody knocked on our door with pizza and groceries. We told no one. God knew. You have no idea what your one obedient act, what your one act of obedience will do, who it will touch. It can overturn a whole city. You can get the attention of the king or maybe even the president. You don't know. The king ordered, let everyone call urgently on God. I love that. (laughs) Anyway. If you ever worried about what people might think of you, I want you to remember Jonah's story. You know, you stopped and didn't do what God asked you to do because you didn't know what they would think of you. Think of Jonah's story. Would you look better after the whale swallows you and then pukes you up on the shore and then you have to go? Then he's going to say, go any, I told you to go. Now what are they going to think of you? Think of Jonah's story. So when you are worried about what other people might think of you, yeah, please, please think of Jonah's story. If you've ever worried about not having enough, if you give to God first, Pastor Neil was talking about tithing. We're not harping on giving, 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 but I'll tell you, I mean, I've preached it before. It's all over in the Bible. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart, but your heart is where your treasure is. Remember that message? He's tapping on the box of your treasure because that's where you keep your heart. And if you're fearful, if you're afraid that you won't have enough if you honor God with the first, I promise you your fear will become your fact. Because what you feared will come upon you. Because you're not honoring God, you're not trusting God, you're not being obedient. Fear feeds the enemy in your life and starves faith. Fear feeds the enemy in your life and starves faith. The third stop on Jonah's journey, Jonah goes, God relents. Let me ask you, has fear ever stopped you from obeying God? Has fear ever stopped you from obeying God? If so, you found yourself on the third stop in Jonah's journey. And my instruction to you, go or do what God has called you to do before your fear comes upon you. 
stop number four. Let's finish this up. Great. I love this. The chapter, I love it. But Jonah was greatly displeased with the Lord. Wait a minute, back up. The whole city repented. God relented. Celebration should be breaking out. The prophets should be leading the way in the celebration. He should be like David was in, I don't want to encourage dancing naked, but don't, don't dance naked in here. Put some clothes on. But anyway, but he should have been dancing and celebrating, leading the procession. But instead, chapter 4 starts out with, but Jonah was greatly displeased. Now I'll tell you, our butts are never as nice looking as God's butts. Mm-hmm. If you've got, I, oh, Lord, help me. Whenever I asked my kids to do something and they said, but, I always said, keep your butt in your pants and not on your lips. But, our butts that we have for God, but, I have a right to be angry, but, so-and-so made me do it, but, our butts are never as good as God's. God's butts mean that deliverance is coming. Ours means we have a big excuse to give you because our butts are big. No, okay, anyway. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Oh, Lord, here it is. This is the reason why he ran. Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. Slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, oh Lord, take my life away. It is better for me to die than to live, Miss Drama Queen here. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out, sat down at a place east of the city where he made himself a shelter Set in its shade and waited to see what's going to happen to that city. I knew this was going to happen this way. I told God not to do it. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his nicely, newly bald head. To ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, just like he provided the whale. He provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun arose, God provided a scorching east wind, like he provided the raging sea. And the sun blazed on Jonah's bald head, so he grew faint. He wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Can you just see him parading around out there? Sorry. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? And Jonah said, I do. I am angry. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it. You did not make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Jonah gets angry. God teaches him a lesson. This is why Jonah ran. I knew, God, you were going to save him. Don't we say that? When God calls us to something, we're like, oh, God, I know. You'll just take care of that. Oh, God, I don't have to pay my tithe. I don't have to give offerings because, God, you'll take care of your house. You'll, you'll keep the lights on somehow. Again, have you ever thought that if I don't go, well, God, you'll just send somebody else. You'll take care of it. Jonah cries, just kill me. So quick has Jonah forgot. Remember, the visit took three days. They're crying out. 
He pouts. He goes, storms off like a little two-year-old. Sets down out there. Let me just see what's going to happen. Just kill me. So quick he forgot that those who cling, his words, those who cling to worthless idols, forfeit the grace that could be theirs. To Jonah, his reputation, though, was ruined. He grabbed back a hold of that worthless idol. Not only will he be considered or is considered the crazy man with no hair, bald, bleached white, spots all over him, torn up, vomit. He's not vomit on him. But now he's a false prophet. I knew it. Mm. Do you know when things don't go our way, we can choose to run with God or run away from God. Like I mentioned, if Jonah would have went, hooray, hallelujah, God relented, yeah, celebrate, king, celebrate. Wouldn't that have been better for him? Instead, he's still more concerned about his reputation. I knew he was going to do that, God. I knew he was going to save him anyway. And now I went and told him something. They're going to say, oh, false prophet, crazy man. <laughs> Just laugh and point at him, right? So quick did he forget. God never calls his children to watch from a distance. We are consistently commanded to love in action, heartfelt compassion for the salvation of all. The lesson, the vine grows, provides shade for his bald head overnight. Jonah's now happy. Just because you're comfortable in your anger doesn't mean your anger is right. But God, but God, what should you be more concerned about? That was the lesson. The fourth stop on Jonah's journey, God teaches Jonah a lesson. Let me ask you, what are you more concerned with? What are you more concerned with? Your comfort or reaching God's children? When things don't go your way, are you sitting back and watching from a distance? Who are you more concerned about? If you, in all honesty, answered myself, then you are at the last stop on Jonah's journey. And my instruction to you, be prepared. God is going to teach you a lesson. Be prepared. See, if you're saved, which Amy, I'm closing. See, if you're saved, you're already in the boat. And when I mean saved, just like I said earlier, that means you've made Jesus Christ, you've asked Jesus to be your Savior, and you've committed, vowed to make him the Lord of your life, serve you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, honor you, fulfill your will, your commands, your purposes for my life. If you're saved, you're already in the boat. So what should you be more concerned about? Those who are still drowning around you. You don't know if that's, you remember the whole, when you're swimming, you have to do the one, two. I'm saying if they can have three. You don't know if that's the third one. You don't know if that's their last gulp of air. You don't know. No one's promised tomorrow. When God calls you to such and such person to say even simplest thing, God loves you. Whatever he says. Maybe it's something strange like, uh, do you play softball? I think God's telling me that your nickname is, is that true? And then they're like, oh, what? How do you know that? Well, I don't. God does. And right now he's got your number, it sounds like. And he wants to say something to you. So if, if I'm not hearing anything right now, but... If you would like, I'll pray right now and let's see what God wants to say to you right now. See, you should be more concerned about that person, those that aren't in the boat yet, than you who's in the boat. Frustrates me to no end when I hear Christians belly aching over their wants and needs instead of being more concerned with loving and reaching the lost. 
it's hot in here today. Let's just admit it. But what's most important? Being here, getting filled up, hearing the word, getting our life right, to get equipped, empowered, and sent out. And go reach the lost, those who aren't in the boat. Or if you're here today and you're not in the boat, but for some reason you, you found yourself here in this service today, you are the most important person in this service. Because you don't know when it's going to be your last gulp of air before you go down. There's a boat that you need to get into. And for us who are already saved, we'll offer you our hand. We'll help you. We'll pull you up into the boat. We'll do everything we can, love on you, and get you on the right path with the Lord. You're the most important person. So in closing, in Jonah's journey, we were taught four principles. If you run when God called you to go and do something, correct your course before God corrects it for you. If you feel swallowed up by the darkness around you, cry out to God. Make good on your vow. He's in the darkness with you, and he will rescue you. If you will, God will. If fear has stopped you from going and doing what God has called you to, go and do it quickly before what you fear comes upon you. And if you're more concerned about your comfort than you are with saving the lost, God will have to teach you a lesson. Because what's more important? Why are we still here? Why are you still breathing air? Because there's a job to do. So could you all stand what I want to do, how I want to close out this service, is I want to talk to those four groups of people. And I'm going to ask you when I repeat these four stops of Jonah's journey, that if you say, if you, that's it, that's where I'm at right now, I want you to come up to the front. No fear, no waiting, no, oh, God. You can touch me right here in my seat. Do you know when you say that, you're making God in your own image? You're making God into an idol that you manage? God, I don't need to go up there. You come to me, God. Could you imagine saying that to one of your parents? When your parent calls you by all three of your names, or four if you're really special, you got four names. Calls you to... Your ears perk up. Could you imagine saying, no, Mom, you come to me. But that's what we say to God. Oh, God's a big God. He can come to me. I don't have to go up front. I can just sit here in my chair, white knuckle the seat in front of me, and not move. And I kind of feel like that, that's me, but not really sure, so I'm just going to stay here. When I call these four stops out, if that's you, if you feel even a little, I want you to come up front. The altar team's going to come up with you and pray with you. First, first group of people, have you been running from God's calling? Have you been running from God's calling? You've heard God call you before and you've been running. You took off in the opposite direction. The second one, do you feel swallowed up by the darkness around you? Is there something going on in your life right now where you just feel like a whole whale has just swallowed you up? That whatever it is in your house, your finances, a loss of a job, I don't even know. Maybe it's just your own thoughts in your mind that you seem to battle with and it feels like just engulfed in a darkness. Has fear stopped you from obeying God? Come up front. We want to pray with you. Fear. Fear's a big one in me. Fear's a big one in me. Come up front. We want to pray with you. And altar team, just start praying for him. And the last one, have you been more concerned about yourself than doing your part in reaching the lost? Have you been more concerned about yourself or your job or just being busy or just life than you have about doing your part in reaching the lost? I want you to come up front. You need to ask God to increase your concern for the lost. To be more concerned about what he's concerned about. I want you to just start praying. Father, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have a simple way of sharing with us. That you have a simple way of teaching us lessons. 
God, that we don't have to complicate things. You are a very simple God because you are the supreme God. You are the God over the heavens and the earth. You created all things. And you can use things to teach us lessons if we would just open our ears, open our eyes, and pay attention to you, God. You'll lead us. You'll direct us. You'll correct us when needed. You're not a God setting up there ready to zap us into eternity, but you want to encourage us. You're a loving Father that wants to exhort us. You pick us up when we fall down, and you brush us off, God, and you, you pat our little behinds and help us take off again. Thank you, God, for being such a loving Father. God, I just pray right now that everyone, everyone that's responding to you right now, that you would give them a double portion of your anointing, God. Fear will have no place in their life anymore because perfect love casts out all fear. Fear will have no place in their life. Their heart will beat hard after your heart. They will have the same compassion as you have, God. Lord, that when you call, they will listen. They won't run. They will listen. You say they obey. You say they obey. God, it will not swallow them up. No problem will try to overtake them. Because you are, Lord, in the darkness. And there is no darkness in you, your word says. You are the master of the darkness. So when life tries to swallow these people up, God, that you will disperse the darkness as we cry out to you as we make good on our vow to you with a song of thanksgiving we'll praise you and sacrifice to you god all we are you have we offer ourselves to you god have your way have your way and if you need prayer for anything else sickness healing situation you're going through don't stop come up front come up front get prayed for 